Good morning. How are y'all? I'm Lisa Bratton, and I'm so glad to be here today with you guys. Um, let's open in prayer. Let a few more get seated. Father, we come to you today to study your word. I pray that our ears would be open to hear, that our hearts would be softened to repent, and that our lives would be constantly growing in our faith and humility, recognizing when we have forgotten who we are, who you are, and how you've called us to live out our lives in this world. In Christ's name, amen. I, um, my pages are out of order. <laughs> um, this week we're building upon what we've studied the last few weeks. And as Christina mentioned in her lecture last week, the Beatitudes express our identity as Christians. And we left off with a promise of persecution. This week we find out why we will be persecuted. We will be persecuted because we are salt and light. In Matthew five thirteen through 16, Jesus is not saying in these verses that we will be salt and light. That he'll eventually give us salt and light to share with the world. It's not an imperative, a command to be salt and light. He is emphatically stating, you are salt and light right now because you belong to me. There's a lot, there's not a lot of mystery here. Christ is straightforward in his explanation. He spoke of common elements that people used every day. These were things that were not cheap and very valuable to life, but common, salt and light. These are not mysteries to them or us today, not something they would have had to go somewhere else to experience or witness or only would have seen once a year at a festival or a special occasion. This was truly part of everyday life for them. Both are common, but powerful agents of change. And let's take salt first. Of course, the obvious use still today is to season food. But also, salt was and still is used for health and hygiene. We read in Ezekiel that after the birth of a baby, he or she was usually rubbed with salt and then wrapped in swaddling clothes. There's different theories as to why this was done. (laughs) Perhaps purification, maybe preventative aids to inhibit bacteria growth. More recently, it's recorded that during Napoleon's retreat from Moscow, he lost thousands of soldiers because their wounds would not heal due to a lack of salt. Even today, we have doctors tell us to gargle with salt for sore throats, soak in Epsom salt for all kinds of maladies, and use the ever-popular neti pots with our saline solution 
to a corral, a sinus infection. But one use, quite ordinary for Christ's audience, that's unusual for us today, would have been to preserve food. It's hard for most of us to fathom what it would be like with no ice, no sonic ice, no refrigeration, no means of preservation, no deep freeze, save salt. Salt acts as an agent of change in that it blocks something from happening. For example, prevents blandness in ordinary food, thus satiating appetite. Inhibits spoilage in meat, thus saving vital sustenance. And arrests growth of bacteria, thus preserving health. It usually is working against something that's already in process. What does this mean for the Christian? We are salt. When Christ is saying we are salt, he is adversely saying that the world is bland. In other words, the world has nothing of lasting value to offer, not satisfying, not arousing a thirst for the living water. He is telling them, us, that the world is sick and decaying and in need of a preservative. Look at the book of Romans. I mean, do I need to say anything else? I mean, we read there about the degeneration that is inevitable in our world if it's left to its own devices and desires. We are salt. Our presence by being in the world is halting, corrosion, banality, contamination, unless, unless, We've lost our saltiness. Salt is quite stable and can't really lose its flavor in and of itself unless another element is introduced, resulting in contamination. Then it loses its effectiveness and cannot fulfill its purpose. Salt has been so valuable to our society through the years. I mean, oftentimes they would use it for trade. Um, we get the, the phrase, you're worth your salt, um, through the slave trade. They would use that for currency in exchange for a trade. And also the word salary is derived from the word for salt because Roman soldiers were paid partly in salt. It wasn't essential to be carried on journeys for both animals and people. It preserved life. Because it was used in trade and there was no modern means of testing it, dishonest merchants would sometimes add sand or similar powder to the salt so that it would be a heavier weight. But it looked the same, tainting it, rendering it useless you tried to use it in bread or some of these other uses that we've had for it. If salt couldn't be used for its intended purposes, it was cast out into the street, only good for pavement. How does this play out in our lives? These are ordinary people he's talking to living ordinary lives. But he is telling them, us, that ordinary commodities are capable of extraordinary work. Christ is saying, you are salt. You are a cleanser of wounds. You are a healer of bleeds. 
You are a savory encourager of thirst for living water. You are a preserver of peace in unruly situations. You are a fertilizer developing new growth around you. You are a life giver because I am a life giver and I have given you life. You should look different than those around you. You are salt. This is the very essence of your being. I was talking with a chef the other day about the importance of adding salt to food. That's been the topic of conversation a lot in my life the last few weeks. Um, During the cooking process, he said that salt is much more effective if added in the beginning of cooking so that it can permeate the dish rather than adding it at the end. He said, and I quote, if you add salt only at the end, it provides a more concentrated, superficial coating that immediately hits your tongue and is overpowering. I couldn't help but think about the difference of when we live in community and permeate the culture we're in rather than pop in and deliver our speech telling everyone when they're doing something wrong and then pop back out. We need to be in the middle of life and community in the sphere in which we've been placed. And that's going to look different for each of us because we are all in different families and communities and positions. But whatever our sphere is, the people in it should see a difference in how we react to it because we are Christians. We are life givers. Now, let's look at um, light. By Christ saying, we are the light, he's applying that the world is in a state of darkness. Christians are the light in it. He didn't say you are a light. He said you are the light. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in response to that statement, says, this is one of those sentences which should always have the effect upon us of making us lift our heads straighten our shoulders, causing us to realize once more what a remarkable and glorious thing it is to be a Christian. Light. It obviously illuminates a path, directs a way. I love the story about Robert Louis Stevenson, who was a sickly child and had spent many a day studying the activities of the street from his nursery window. He spoke fondly of watching the gas lamplighter each evening making his way down the street. He called it punching holes in the dark. With the advent of electric lights, it's hard to imagine complete darkness anymore. Unless you've been to Carlsbad Caverns or some similar place where they turn out the lights for a few seconds to allow you to to experience that complete darkness and utter darkness. Um, I attended a blind cafe event a few years ago where guests are led by a blind waiter into a blacked-out room to spend an evening dining in complete darkness. There were several interesting takeaways from the event, but one of the most powerful was at the end. A person stood in the center of the ballroom-sized room, lit a single candle, 
and held it up high in the air to reveal all the yet unseen things around us. We were all amazed at the impact a single flame could have in complete darkness. We are the light. He is calling his people to holy living. Why? So that the world will notice a difference and we bring glory to him. And the world does notice. My husband worked at Yosemite National Park one summer through the student ministry at his university. Their purpose was to live, work, and build relationships with the year-round employees at the park to share the gospel. Most of the year-round employees who lived and worked at Yosemite were trying to escape from something, from another life. Many of them had some type of brokenness in their past, couldn't find a stable job or struggled with addiction. When the college team first arrived in the park and began building relationships with the year-round employees, the employees already knew who the students were because they had had summer missionaries there every summer. One of them told my husband, that there was a darkness in Yosemite Valley throughout the winter. But he could tell a difference when the missionary group started arriving. He said, it's like somebody turned the light on in the park. Friends, the world should be able to tell a difference. In verse 16, Jesus commands them, us, to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. That takes courage. And of course, he doesn't mean to do it in a boastful way. But where does the courage come from? Not within ourselves, that's for sure. But we are never alone. He is the light and he is the word. We see in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And we are connected to the source of strength, as we see in John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It goes without saying that sometimes, as healing and beneficial as salt properties are, Salt can sting. And people don't like the sting, even if it's a healing sting. Thus, the persecution. It goes without saying that light illuminates darkness, and evil does not like to be exposed, even if it ultimately brings restoration. Thus, the persecution. But we cannot not be who we are. That's why Christ mentions hiding the light under a basket. It would have been ludicrous to the audience. A waste of resources, oil and wicks, a waste of time and energy not doing what the lamp was made to do. So it is with us. When we have melded our views and our ideas so much with our world that we have lost our effectiveness, we are like contaminated salt or when we hide our light for fear that the world will treat us poorly, if we live up to the full glow within us, 
We must accept this distinction that has been placed upon us. Embrace it and not apologize for it. As I was studying these passages, the song, This Is Me, from one of my favorite movies, The Greatest Showman, kept echoing through my head. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. It's, it's a scene where all of the outcasts in society who've been drawn out of the shadows and into the light by P.T. Barnum have basically tasted freedom for the first time and have decided they like the light. And despite the fact that society is trying to still put them back in the shadows or keep them somewhat in the shadows, they won't go back. And I won't sing it for you or do the dance, which I could. But um, it, the gist of the songs basically says, look out world, because here I come. I make no apologies. This is me. If we find ourselves wasting our lives as flavorless salt and lamps under baskets, living in much the same way as the world around us, We must examine our hearts and avail ourselves of the source, the helper given to us for examination, guidance, and strength. The same source of strength we see at work in Moses as he stands before Pharaoh. The same source of strength we see at work in Abram as he leaves his land. The same source of strength we see at work in Paul on the Damascus Road. The same Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, source that works mightily through ordinary things like salt and light to accomplish extraordinary things that confound the world. How can we endure? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, transforming us, reminding us of the decay and obscurity out of which we have been rescued. And with that in mind, I've asked Kelly to lead us as we sing the first and fourth verses of Jesus I Come. You'll find it in the back. And then I'll close us in prayer.